Let's make sure history never forgets the name. Sci-fi melody. Got out. Raving Lunatic Media brings Saturday mornings back with the Zodiac Task Force. Join our monthly audio drama to listen in to the adventures of the Zodiac Task Force, an elite force of troopers who defend the Galactic Alliance against the evil conquest of Sarkron and his Sidera Morphins. Zodiac Task Force is inspired by the Saturday morning cartoons of the 80s and 90s and stars the voice talent of many new creators. Tune in monthly for Zodiac Task Force before Starcron comes for you. So Rage, what are we doing today? Well, we're going back to an old piece of media about a robot revolt with Carl Chapek's 1920 play Rossum's Universal Robots. Sounds interesting. Hardly. Aw, oh, crap. Who let Dork in? Sorry guys, I had a meeting Hot Pockets in the crawl space above my garage. I guess he got out. More like he ran out of Hot Pockets, so I came out to get more. It's a good thing too, because you're about to do some boring derivative work. You're derivative, dork. You're derivative. No more than your topic today. It is so overdone. How so? Robots being created as a labor force? Boring. It's been done before. Not when this was made. Actually, this was the first concept of a robot revolt. Yeah, in fact, it was the first use of the word robot coined by Chapek's brother. But the robots aren't even robots. You're like the replicants of Blade Runner. Copycat, copycat, your head is full of copy fat. Uh, that makes no sense. And neither does your argument. Right. The robots of Chapek's play were replicants before Philip K. Dick was even born. Yeah, but your whole discussion of robots becoming like people... Again, this was made first, Dork. Uh... Get out of the studio, Dork! Sarah! Give him some of the dog food we give to Piper, and shove him back in the crawl space. That seems a little harsh. Does it? But dork. Yeah, I see your point. Good riddance. Sci-Fi Malady, Symptom 206. Rossum's Universal Robots. Haven't we seen this before? And the answer to your question, Scott, is no, we haven't seen this before. If we were living in 1920. <laughs> anyway, welcome back, Sickies, to Automaton August. And although we started with Tobor, the title robot, I thought this week we'd go back to the very first incarnation of robots, which I don't know why I didn't think of this before, but eh, c'est la vie. So here we are with Rossum's Universal Robots. This was a play penned by Karel Chapek, a Czechoslovak, well at the time Czechoslovak, now he would be Czech, uh, playwright in 1920. And it is a three-act play, about robots who are made and rise up in revolt. And as we'll get through to the fun facts, uh, robot did not exist at the time of this, at the, when this play was written. But we'll get to that fact in a minute. If I can do my not-so-one-minute plot summary. Rage Masters, one-minute plot summary. Ready, set, go. Uh, basically, the... Play starts with a woman, Helena, coming to see uh, the head of the Rossums robot company. Rossums is a robot manufacturing company on an island in an undisclosed point in the future. And I really like when they do this kind of thing, when they put the future at in the future to be determined. 
as we mentioned last week, whenever you do something like in 1992 or uh, Back to the Future with 2015, you really get let down when you find out they were all so wrong. There's no hoverboards. And what we call a hoverboard is not a hoverboard because the wheels are touching the ground. If you're drive- riding around in a hoverboard, you are not riding around in a hoverboard. It's touching the ground with wheels. It is not hovering. Wow, that went the one minute we view. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so anywho, uh, so Helena, it turns out, is part of the Human League. Is that what it is? The Human League? I'm, or was I just quoting the name? The, of the Humanity band? League. Humanity <laughs> League. And she was came with letters of a president of a country. Doesn't say which country. Uh, sounds like America. It sounds like America, but it it not might not be. So she comes there because her goal is to try to fight for the robots' rights because the robots right now are just laborers, kind of mindless laborers. But we also get an explanation of how the robots are made in Act One. It seems Rossum in the in the nineteen thirties was looking for, he was a marine biologist who found some kind of protoplasm and found out he could use that as like the building blocks of life. And so in an effort to prove that we don't need God anymore, he made a person. The problem is, well, he didn't make a person so much as he made a creature. His nephew came along and figured out as an engineer how to manufacture people. And Rossum just got locked away in a closet so he could do his mad experiments until he died while the nephew made the Rossum's Universal Robot Company and started manufacturing robots and mass. At the end of Act One, we find out that not only are they are the robots replacing humans slowly but surely because they're brainless and mindless. In fact, they're we find out that they're more synthetic. They're grown humans almost, like the replicants of Blade Runner. Because they have factories that make tubes of intestines and they're talking about making nerve endings that sense pain because the robots will work through having their fingers crushed because they can't feel it. In fact, they don't even know that they should stop working. Helena eventually just is so distraught and the head of Rossums asks her to marry him. Yeah, it was a different time, folks. (laughs) So she agrees to act two takes place. What was it? Five, 10 years later, 10 years years. later, where we find out that a robot revolt is starting to happen, that a robots company or country started asking for robots to be soldiers and the company obliged. And as the robots became soldiers, countries went to war and then the robots eventually started learning how to fight for themselves because it turns out Helena took a robot out of the factories, put her in the library, and taught her to read. And she started getting ideas, and other robots got ideas, and it became a virus, and soon you had a robot revolt in addition to the world wars. World wars. Global war, whatever it was. It's not exactly clear in the play how many countries are at war, but we do know that it's happening. Well, this play isn't does not really dive into quite a few subjects. It's just... There's wars. Yeah, there's wars, and that's all you need to know. Uh, Plus, it's a play, so it's on a stage. They can't exactly pan to different parts of the world. Yeah, also we get get stage directions during this. Right, if you're listening to the audio drama, it's stage directions, which, I mean, it's a play. So you do find out that a warship has come to take Helena off the island. And she's perturbed about the fact that it's a warship while her husband's like, Oh, is that a warship? Huh, 
Look at that. Hey, you don't need to worry about that. It's not a warship. There's guns on it. But that doesn't make it a warship. It just got extra armor. Yeah. Uh, don't mind the pistol I'm suddenly carrying also. Exactly. And the second act ends with them deciding to stay on the island. Now, the third act is, what, another five, ten year jump? And the robots have now pretty much taken over the world. But what am I missing? You look, uh, you look confused, Thomas. What have I missed? Mm-mm. No, I thought the act three was when the robots actually arrived. No, no, I'm getting that. The robots have kind of taken over, and they're at the island surrounding it. Yeah. There wasn't a time jump, though, I thought. There wasn't? Well, there, there was a time jump. I just don't know how much. Yeah, there was one between, I thought, act one and act two. Yeah, and then there is between two and three. I just right. don't know how much. I don't think they make it as clear as the first one. But the point is, the robots are at the island, and they're run by a guy named... Uh, oh, I already forgot his name. It's not Primus. It's... Um, is it Mario? No. No, um, it starts with a P or an R. Radius? Radius, yeah. He's the, uh, you might say, Lenin of the group. And the robots are just surrounding the island, standing there looking blankly at the factory. And the owners of the factory are thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God, what do we do? What do we do? Although they, I'll be honest, the audio drama emotes very badly. So, But we find out that they decide, okay, we got to get off the island. Let's sell them the notes about how to make, because by this point, too, the birth rate has hit nearly zero. People are not having babies because they get a robot to do everything for them. But the problem is the robots don't know how to make more robots. So they get the idea, well, let's just sell them the document about how to sell the robots, how to make robots. The problem is Helena burnt the paper because she didn't want any more robots being made. And that leads them to going out and basically trying to bribe the robots with money to get off the island. It doesn't work and the robots take over. Skip to the epilogue then years later. Again, don't know how many years offhand. But there's just one human left. They kept the scientist alive so he could try to figure out how to make more robots. And it turns out that a robot Primus and Helena have started to understand emotion and fallen in love. And the scientist is saying, well, I'll dissect you so I can figure out how you're having these emotions. And they, they say, no, I'll, they, Helena and uh, Primus decide, nope, if you try to dissect the other person, I will kill you. So he declares them the new Adam and Eve and sends them out into the world. And he's the last human on Earth, so he knows when he dies, humanity's gone. So, and that's the end of the play. So, uh, a little few fun facts. And I don't want to, I'm going to skip through these quicker because there's a lot of nice themes that I'm sure we're going to pour over here today. But the first fun fact I'll give is this was the, the where, where the term robot came from. So for those of you that are ever wondering where did we get the term robot, Karol Chapek. Or more accurately would be the, his brother. His brother made up the term robot. Uh, it replaced the other words like automaton or android. But... Chapek named his brother as the person who created the word because in Czech, the word robota means forced labor of the kind that serfs had to perform back in the feudalism. 
And it's also derived from the word rab, which means slave in that language. The name rossum, in fact, comes from an allusion to the Czech word rozum, rozum, which means reason, wisdom, intellect, common sense, things like that. So there's a little play on words here. And it's fun fact about the word rossum as well. It has it appeared as an homage in so many different uh, pieces of science fiction. Let me just read off a few. Uh, in the American science fiction series Dollhouse, the antagonist corporation is Rossum Corp. Scott, in the Star Trek episode Requiem for Methuselah, what's the android's name? Ranya Kopic. Which is an anagram for Karl Chopek. So there you go. Do you remember that episode? I do remember. Of course, that you episode. remember it. Is it a TOS episode? It's a TOS episode, and the guy who builds the android is an immortal human who once went by the name of Leonardo da Vinci. Uh huh. Yeah. See, see, sickies. If you ever have a Star Trek question about anything not Kurtzman Trek or not, uh, what do they call that? JJ Trek, but there's a name for it. I forget. Kelvin Universe. Kelvin Universe. Uh, Scott's your guy. Just name an episode, any episode, and he'll probably know what it's about. I'll be honest, I would have forgotten the android's name, but I, I do remember that episode. So. Yep, of course you do. <laughs> In fact, Sicky says an aside, Netflix reminded Scott that he should be watching Star Trek this week, and he thought, like, I need to be reminded. Yes, it- I'm like, Netflix? I watch this every night when I fall asleep. Why do you need to remind me to watch it again? If at all possible, he watches a Star Trek episode a day, maybe two or three. Yeah, look, look, this is really weird, but I'm such a regimented person that I will, when I go to sleep, start a certain sequence of episodes in Next Generation or TOS. And if I wake up in the middle of the night, I know what time it is by what point in the episode that is on my TV. Wow, that's... Kind of scary. Uh, in Batman, the animated series, the best Batman as far as I'm concerned, there is the episodes, uh, the twin episodes Heart of Steel, which is about robots, repl- uh, robot replicants of people, the mechanical kind. But the name of the company, the name of the man who funded, founded the company and made the hard act robot is Carl Rossum. Uh, let me just do a few more um, that might actually... Oh, in 2016 video game Deus Ex Man- Mankind Divided, the RUR is being performed in an underground theater in a dystopian Prague by an augmented woman who believes herself to be the robot Helena. And so those are just a few references. There's plenty more. I don't want to take too much time for that because I want to go now to just a couple more fascinating facts. Uh, so Chapek... He kind of is a Franz Kafka of science fiction. Kafka, when he wrote Metamorphosis, was just doing a fantasy, whereas Chopek actually gives some kind of explanation. For it, it might not be great, but then again, he's not a scientist. He's a playwright. Uh, he also, interestingly enough, foresaw some scientific developments. In his 1922 novel, Krak- Sorry, my check is off. It foretold of the nuclear bomb, while much of his other work foresaw the rise of Nazism. In fact, Chapek died in 1938, which is kind of sad because the year prior, 1937 or was it 36, he did an interview. He has a book called Talks with T.J. Masaryk, and 
Tomas Tomas Garig Masaryk was the first president of Czechoslovakia and a big time uh big time republic kind of uh republican governor kind of guy. I don't mean republican in our sense, but republic style government and uh nationalist for the Czechoslovak state and uh Chapek did a series of talks and interviews with him. Very good book when you listen to it or read it rather. But JPEG died in 38 before the Nazis really could uh, rise to power and throughout Europe. However, his brother Yosef, the guy who made up the term robot, wasn't so lucky and wound up dying in 45, April of 45, just weeks before the end of the war. And he was in a concentration camp and he had a few po- a book called Poems from a Concentration Camp. So the Chapeks were clearly, they were men of letters. So I think that's all for the fun facts now, because I want to get to the, we'll do some rips and picks, I think, and then we'll get into the themes, because I think the themes are going to take the biggest amount of time today. So let's jump into rips and picks. What do you got, guys? Uh, How about a big rip? Will you marry me? Uh, Yeah, that, um, I don't know if that translated, if that worked well in 1920, but it certainly doesn't work today. So... (laughs) Yeah, well, if you won't marry me, you got to marry someone else. Yeah. One of the six in turn. Yeah, that that definitely. Um, I don't know. I haven't uncovered if that's anything like him criticizing the way marriage was working, or if it was just a convenience in the story. I, I really. And don't then know. and then he says, "Well, if you won't marry me, you're gonna have to violently tell me no. Last chance." Yeah. Yeah. And and so very forceful marriage proposal. Yeah, yeah, and it made it even worse because the voice acting was well, not terribly great in this because I thought that all of the human managers were actually robots, robots who yes. thought that they were human. Yeah, that's... I, for a second, though, I thought she was a robot. Yeah, there is... Uh, this rip, in specific, they're mentioning sickies. If you go, you can listen on YouTube or on Spotify. Uh, I think it's called Liverbox Recording. This is more a strike against them than the play itself because some of the dialogue, yeah, it's dated, but it works. But if you're reading it flat, in fact, when I got to Scott's house today, Scott was like, so did they think they were robots? I went, no, of course they didn't. But I understood why he thought that because I was thinking to myself, emote! (laughs) I mean, there's the scene... In Act 3, where a guy's got a revolver pointed at, um, I forgot his name already, the leader guy, the Lenin. Um, Revel. Uh, Radius. Radius. He's pointing it at Radius thinking, kill the leader, and they'll just go away. And he's hesitating. And someone goes, fire! Exactly like I just did. It's the end of the world for humanity, moron! A little, emote a little more. Can you put yourself in the shoes of someone who's, I, I mean, come on. And, and this just goes to bad director. Cause if I had been the director, I would have written back. All right. You guys really, really need to act better. This is, if this were, if this were first time voice actors without direction, I guess it could be forgiven. But as someone who is, and I'm no expert, of course, but. As someone who is helping out with Zodiac Task Force, 
One of the things that Ruck and I and Shane do is listen to voice auditions. And if someone's emotive capability is flat, we're not into that. So, and Zodiac Task Force is out, by the way, shameless plug. But if, we're, if they're doing one of their special attacks and they just say, I don't know, I'll just make one up. Arrow of attack. Ah! Lightning bolt! Yeah. <laughs> No, we need emotion. Jeez. Lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt, yeah. lightning bolt. That has more emotive the capability than these actors. Right, and as Mark will tell you, I'm not an emotive no. person. No, but it, no, again, not. this this reading of this play. Oh, I can. I, the robots. At times, it was difficult to tell which were robots and which were not because yes, they all had the same yep. flat. The robots just. At least I actually think the robot, well, they a were, couple of them, I thought actually maybe had a bit more emotion put yeah, into yeah. them. And actually, emo- like, oh, wow, I think I can tell that's a robot. And the robots, Are the other robots? I don't know. Yeah, the robots should have been a little flat. <clears throat> that would have made sense. But for the one, or just this one, oh, God in heaven, God in heaven. Wow, you really sound like you're panicking. I think the only one who emoted was the maid or whatever. Yeah, and it, even that, yes. was, that was off. It was just, it was bizarre. I thought that they all felt that they were reading for robots. and, and But then at the end, I still felt at the end that all the managers were robots who thought they were humans, but really were robots nope, because of the, the way case. it was read. Like the guy at the end, he's like, 540 millions. For 540, for half a billion, it has to be able to be bought. It has to be able to be bought. Well, not just that, but then you have the main, you know, director of the plant or whatever. He's reading like he knows this stuff by heart. It's like, wait a minute, are you reading? It sounds like you just know this as memory, like you had it programmed into you. Right, barfing it out for a teacher. For a book reporter, and, and the voice and the inflection he went with was like a robot. It would be like I would say, um, Perhaps sci-fi should... malady is a podcast that is recorded in Ohio and edited and released for um, your listening pleasure on multiple podcatchers. Yes, that was it right there. It so. has a mechanical um, tenor to it and yeah. cadence. So, yeah. I mean, this play may have been really good, and maybe, you know, with some inflections, it would have been great. But this this one we listened to probably made it even worse, that one scene that was just like, what? So all in It all, came out of the blue, too. All in all, sickies, if you have a chance to see this in real life at an actual playhouse, go do that instead, if you can. Yes, because the material is amazing. And I, yes, some so let's of the, get back yeah. to the material then. Let's rip and pick the material. Because, but it was worth mentioning that, sickies, if you ever go on Spotify or YouTube has the recording, it's, uh, it is on, um, oh, shoot, what do they call that when it's not copyright? Public anymore. domain. Public it domain. is on public domain. Wow, I'm getting Alzheimer's. Uh <laughs> It is on public domain, but if you listen to it and you're thinking, this, these voice actors are boring, yes, yes, they are. Yeah. Now, so, getting to the story. Well, okay. Um, apparently, you can simplify the human body. Well, for uh, keep, keep, provide the context here. It, in the film, oh, well, film, sorry, play, it's speaking about the sun or whatever, he is an engineer, and he simplified the human body. 
Yeah, I think that... You can only simplify it so much. Right. I think they were going there. He was trying to... And this is me just being cocktail uh, psychologist here. Cocktail analyst. I think Chopek was trying to go for... Because at this time, the Czech Republic, or Czechoslovakia at the time, was becoming industrialized. They had... You know, con- we don't tend to think of it because the path they went later with communism. But in the 1920s, the Czechoslovak economy, well, they didn't become a communist state until 49. But prior to that, they were very much a democratic uh, country. And especially the Czech side was becoming more industrialized than the Slovak side. And they had, like, Batia was a major, was the Henry Ford of Czech. He, it was a shoe company, sure, but he perfected a manufacturing process. And you had a booming auto industry. You had an airline industry that was doing well. Yeah, well, so at, they, at this time, yes, the, the world was changing and becoming right, but, industrialized because they were going from not just Czech or America, but the entire world was going away from skilled labor to unskilled yeah, labor, I, where it was, think, you could no longer you know, yeah, you but build... I think, perfection cars by one person building it no you built it in parts yeah, assembly I, lines were coming about yeah but that's not what he's getting at no i think he's trying to get at more that oh he was an industrial engineer so he simplified it and this is more kind of a, a scathing indictment of technocrats who think all you have to do is all you need is an engineer to just streamline it and everything becomes simple right. and then you can market it. And it well, was, it was a was time where more, you were I taking think, the, That's my guess of what yeah, he was doing. Yeah. I can't validate that at the moment. We have, to, we have to look back and, okay, so we see where ultimately the end game of industrialization really went. Okay, we saw it. We, yeah. are, we are the end game of industrialization and we're in that transition to where the economy becomes a service economy rather than the production economy. But back in the 1920s, we were still at the early phases, the beginning phases of the Industrial Revolution to an yeah. extent. Um, well, I, and, and you were seeing artisans being replaced, and you were taking the soul and the creativity out of things to streamline that process down to how many can I make, how many can I mass produce. And it took a while to be able to put some of that artwork and craftsmanship back into it. And I think at that point, what he's saying here is, We've streamlined all these productions. What if we can streamline the production of man down to its essential capabilities right, to no, create a laborer? No, I understand yeah. what that is. I, I I don't know if it was the beginning of the industrialization because no, it was well. After. No, we weren't in the beginning of it. No, no, I think no, no. we were still in the early phases of it where we didn't well, know no. where it was going to end. Well, obviously, we didn't know where it was going to end, but I think it was the cha- a changing point then because yes, industrialization I, was before that, but it was a lot more skilled industrialization people, people were starting to question where it was going i mean this goes back to the old charlie chaplin short of him getting caught between the gears tightening bolts and basically we're trying to make man a machine well yes a broke down engineered machine that is a cog and that's i think one of the things he was well yes complaining this is, about this is when you know a lot of people were discussing cogs in the machine and you know the state of workers' rights were terrible, and yes, what I'm saying is, I think this is, again, when the changing of the path was, where this is when mass production started, this is when the idea of large factories started really coming about. Before that, you really didn't have the idea of 
miles of just one factory producing one thing. And I guess I guess what I should say is, yes, this isn't the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. It's, it's a transition period, but I think this was a point where people didn't know if, all right, we've replaced the craftsman and the artisan with machines. Are we going to now replace the people who operate the machines with machines to operate the machines? And that's where it was going yes. to yeah. play. Yeah, and that's definitely a massive theme of this because they're like, oh, yeah, it'll cost nothing, but no one's making any money either. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, they, you, and they overproduced at the end. The machines, were, the robots were like, we have more coal and textiles than we need. They're sitting in a warehouse rotting somewhere because we've overproduced. Yep. Yeah, and you also have um, uh, the maid or whatever ranting against uh, progress. Yeah, she's a little, clearly the elder who's a little outdated in that. Well, you also have the one is, manager ranting against progress, too. So, I mean, there's quite a bit of a discussion here about the throwing sh uh, clogs into the... <laughs> yeah, where are we going with this? Is that, I, think, I think we're, uh, you know, it seems to me that we're going to be doing mostly the themes here. So we'll just skip rips and picks and go right into the themes. Because we've, yeah. we've dove in, and, and that's fine. That's fine. I, I do think to, to just what Thomas said about you can apparently simplify the human body... As I listened to this play, I think that he had more of an idea of the impact on society that he wanted to tell. Yes. And less of a grasp of the science of how we would get to robots or replicants. And so right. he rather than rather than saying too much about it, because he's not Asimov, rather than saying too much about oh, it yeah. that he can't support and sounds just ridiculous, he was very vague and yeah, the robots are robots, and we figured out a way to streamline it somehow. He well, yeah. he did well a, again. A brief I, explanation at the beginning, and was like, "That's all you're getting." Yeah, and again, this is rips. That was rips and picks. Right. This is more. It, this is more intent to be a social commentary. So yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Again, and this whole play is full of social commentary on progress, on industrialization, yep. on workers' rights, on uh, the idea of you know war, militaries on idea of production, on the idea of socialism and communism, on utopia, on that, it gets into, it gets into all this, you know, ideas and it dips its toes in a few of them and it really dives into a couple. And and this kind of gets I don't know how you'd say this. Um, it dives into some of these really deep. I don't know which ones we want to uh, well, you discuss. Kinda, you kind of went jumped into the first one, so let's go ahead and do that. Because incidentally, you did it by you did it by accident, which is great. So huh, was uh, so yesterday. Accidents. I was going to mention this anyway, but Scott cut me to the quick yesterday with a text saying, "What kind of social? What kind of Marxist nonsense is this?" I said, quote, where did you find this Marxist-Leninist propaganda drivel? Robots of the world unite. Now, yeah, now I also I was, going to, I was going to say, of course Mark was going to send us yeah, yeah, the communist. Yeah, yeah, we all know I'm the communist here, blah, Rage blah, Rage is a secret Marxist-Communist-Leninist. Yeah, send, send McCarthy after me. <laughs> but I had to kind of correct Scott here because, Sikis, let me explain something here. It was Trotskyism, Chopek. not more. <laughs> Chopek was uh, not a communist. Chopek was a lot like Orwell in that they were socialists. Now, we're not going to get into the deep dive here, but no. 
communism and socialism are not the same thing. They just lead to and the they, same thing. And the, and nah, the idea, they no, they don't. So we're not going to get into that discussion. I'm just saying they're not the same thing. Could socialism bleed into communism? Depends how far you take it. But in the same way that could you could argue capitalism left unchecked could lead to slavery. So just remember, Canada is a socialist country and it is nowhere near descending into communism. No. So the point is that guys like Chapek, and Chapek was not mo unique in this at all. We were just talking about industrialization. Guys like Chopik were asking, they were looking at unbridled capitalism saying, well, this certainly isn't helping everybody. I mean, this was the, this was the Gilded Age where you had Pete, the wealth inequality was staggering. Right. Where you had, Thomas, you mentioned this and rightly so, the workers' rights were non-existent. Oh, yeah, yeah, and Andrew Carnegie, you lost a finger, you got nine others, you can operate the exactly. machine with nine. Yeah. And if you think you can't, get out. Uh. You don't like your, your 14 hour work days, six days a week? Fine, we're going seven days a week, 15 hours. Yeah, and yeah. Chopek, now a lot of people would say, well, he was clearly a commie. Not so. He penned an essay called Why I'm Not a Communist. And in fact, Orwell himself, while gun running or fighting in the Spanish Civil War, became an anti communist because he was working with a communist against Tito, uh, not Tito, but um, oh, what was the guy's name? Franco the dictator there he was an anti-fascist and so he sided with the commies thinking well if they're anti-fascist they're the guys i want to work with until he started learning about communism and sovietism and went ah no no well, well again, and then we see that in 1984 that was a scathing indictment of the soviet yeah. union well i mean so, technically speaking america and britain reluctantly worked with you know, Stalin of course. during World War II. Oh, no, this wasn't an indictment of Orwell. I mean, this was a, uh, he sided with the people he thought were on his side until he learned more about him. Oh, but Mark, are you saying he's not a communist because he said he's not a communist? Next, you're going to tell me that Barack Obama really was born here and isn't a communist because yeah, he said right. he was Sorry. born here and isn't a communist. He's a, he's we a, know that doesn't mean anything. He's a neo-Marxist, <laughs> postmodern, Muslim, uh, satanic person, I know. But anyway... Uh, He's running the shadow government. So Chopek and guys like Orwell were really kind of looking for a third way. They were saying, well, we can't have unbridled capitalism and communism is certainly not the answer. So what's the third way? And so this was kind of like a warning, though, against a communist revolution. 1920 was just a couple of years after the Bolshevik Revolution. Chapek saw what, com what uh, Leninism was doing to Russia. He saw the damage and he was almost kind of, you know, you see the, hear this in act three when one of, I forget which of the managers says, berates the mob mentality of the robots and is saying, look at this. And he's like, look at these sad people. And it's the same warning mob mentality, whether it's communism or not at this point, it was communist targeted at communism, but is not the way to go because that leads to brainless robots as he's pointing out so uh chapek and i'll wrap up and you guys can add your two cents but chapek was warning about mob mentality and commie and communist overtake because he lived through that red scare he was he absolutely was and and to be to make a point here when i said where did you get this marxist propaganda i was early in act one 
And when you're early in this play, oh, it's it not clear yet then. that he yeah. is going to show he's you the evils it. of communism. Yeah, he's he's taking he's borrowing from real life events. He's absolutely at the beginning of this. He's showing you to me at the beginning of this. He was showing you the evils of unchecked capitalism as well. You have a mega corporation that is only thinking of how to create a cheaper labor force for itself. People don't care if it puts people out of work. Because they're going to make money. He talks about the dividends that he's going to get and the fact that his shareholders would have none of the uh, talk of shutting this down because of the money that they're making and the responsibility. So he's giving you the evils of unchecked capitalism as well at the beginning. And at that time, I thought that what he was going to do was show us that the robots, as the workers of the world, were going to show the value that when the robots took the value of... See, I thought where he was going was... When you take the ability of a human to labor away and to earn a living, then you cheapen the human being and you take away the value of labor in the, in the you know, and in, in that without a labor force, these, these owners of capital and production have no value themselves either. I thought that's where he was going. But what he was showing you with the robots and the automatons as the force of labor is that it can be equally as bad when you only value labor without leadership at the top to guide that to a productive point and giving humanity something else to do when they're freed of their toil and labor. Yeah, and in fact, too, with that, um, we saw another example of that, <clears throat> got to worry about unchecked capitalism. He mentions in the play specifically American workmen smashing the robots to save their jobs. Yep. So, I mean, how about at the end where you've got the the one guy, I'm going to do my final accounting early this year. That's he's worried about million. They're about to die and he's worried about balancing the books and the bank account. Like and and that's the thing, everything is falling down around you. Your money is now worthless. And even goes to show he thinks at the end he still thinks his money can buy yeah, the survival of humanity. Yeah. He thinks he's going to bribe robots. Come on. Right. And and like he finds out how powerless his pieces of paper are it, it, when you take the the organizing construct of society that gives it value away. He spent his whole life accumulating that, and it means nothing in the end. But it's, it's funny how he set himself so much in the inability to see otherwise. I mean, he, was, he had something with the paper that said this is how they, re they need this, this formula to make more robots. But oh, unfortunately, God, is Helena Glory the worst? She burnt the... Ugh. Oh, Helena. I, and... But you know what's fun? They explain why. It's just not a, she burnt, like a modern writer would just say, she burnt it. Oh no, mystery box. Moving on. No, but And there he actually says, why did you do it? She's, she's the, because I don't know. she wants robots to stop replicating so that humanity would be forced to make more kids. But well, she all, killed off humanity. Yeah. She killed right, but humanity. She's, remember, she's a, a mental wreck. So she's in wreck desperation mode. Well, this is also could be a, scathing rebuke against a lot of the that time period's movements i think it, it is it, yeah. i think it's, she's the do-gooder who has all yes. these altruistic method you know of of i'm the you're you're the same as us you're just as good as us um you know and and she's the do-gooder i'm gonna yeah good for the sake of good and she kills humanity in her effort to be in her pure effort to do well without thinking pragmatively about it um, and, and, and like, you got to walk a thin, a fine line here because no, just cause you're doing good doesn't mean you're going to destroy humanity and that we have to be, have inequality and evil for humanity to, um, function. But she, 
doesn't think through the second and third order impacts of any of her actions. She teaches the robot. She's responsible for the to, robot revolt. Yeah, she yeah. gives them quote unquote souls. Uh, souls. Yeah. She well, and that's the funny part. She is so naive, and that's it's funny that you mentioned that, Scott. I hadn't thought of this. I've read the essay Why I'm Not a Communist by Chopek. And one of his scathing indictments is they wave the red flag that everything's going to be equal and we're all going to be wonderful and great despite everything going on around you. And then when you look, when they look around and see how everything's falling apart, they just say, someday, someday, that's their argument. Someday it'll get good. I had good intentions. Exactly. Despite the utter failure of the system. They keep propping up the lie that, don't worry, it'll work out. Well, it, so I could see why you're getting that based on his essay. I think the, the second play does that. The second play sits there and goes, oh, yeah, wars are happening and all this is happening and everyone's dying, but it's going to get better. Yeah, exactly. And he's also, I mean, Czech people are cynical by nature, but um, that sounds he was terrible, you grouping entire population well maybe that's changing now i would argue that's probably changing now uh but it is true especially after communism czech people became extremely cynical and i I wonder why exactly when i lived when i lived there and taught i taught in an advertising agency that had a contract with avon and avon had a new ad campaign called hello tomorrow and the Czechs were telling them this isn't going to work here this is going to make most people laugh at it and walk away shaking their head because she's like, and I said, why is that? Because this looks like communist propaganda to us. This is what we got all the time. This is all we got. It's going to be better tomorrow. Uh, you know, the Orwell, you know, everything's up 24%. Razor production is up 38.2%, even though everyone's still using the same old rusty razor, but they still have to say double plus good. And, and, but and that goes back ties back to Chapek saying here's this Helena who's doing all these things thinking it's gonna make it better and then she burns away their only bargaining chip thinking it's gonna save the day you know the way the more I think about this I see that what he's really saying is that everything that we have in our societal structures is a failure and we have to find another way because the first act of this play is showing you the evils of unchecked pragmatism. Uh, the, the, the managers of Rossum's Universal Robots are pragmatists. They, they take the heart and the soul out of it and they think that pragmatism can get you to where you need to be in the finish line. Then they go ahead and they bring in um, Helena who is unchecked idealism. And it shows you the failings of unchecked idealism. And, and, so at the, and then they're showing you the failings of unchecked capitalism and the failings of unchecked communism. He definitely is equally showing you the failures of our current systems when taken out to their extremes and how they each need to be tempered uh, with a little bit of the opposite viewpoint. And I can't think of a better message for today's world, not just in America, in, in the entire world right now, there is a, a huge battle between my side is 100% right and your side is 100% wrong. And we've stopped looking for any kind of tempering of our ideas. Any compromise, yeah. And this also did another thing. It also did a um, scathing rebuke of technology. Well, I shouldn't say rebuke. 
warning. A war, yeah, yeah. I mean, he warned about the atomic bomb in Kratatik. And but butter than my check would be. <laughs> yeah, but definitely here. Yeah, he definitely did that with the robots. Like, do we really want? technology to replace everything well it it brings up again because of the declining birth rates and stuff it asks the question you know a will technology replace humans but also will that replace the desire and the need for humanity because what mm -hmm. what yeah. makes a human human um it gets tricky but i mean i shouldn't say what makes a human human what makes humanity have a need to survive what what is your purpose in and, life and you took that away from right. when you it, introduced the robots i mean even there's a lot of undercurrent of god in here and how god is no longer relevant even you if he's replaced real, god yeah yeah even if he's i mean real, they bring it up i mean they literally talk about a prayer book in this and go Oh, we don't need that. Exactly. So there's those that don't believe in God and those that do, but their views, well, I mean, Rossum went about his whole, the original Rossum tried to build the robots with the intent of either disproving God or at least saying, God's irrelevant. We don't right. need him anymore. And then the nephew came along and went, I definitely don't believe in a God. I believe in engineering. Right. So, well, well, again, this is the thing where it's like, they bring up God, they bring up this, but I think the, the technology this is where i think this play touches on so many areas a lot of it it doesn't dive deeply in now you know he's trying to tackle a lot and he's only got an hour and a half so yeah i i think the, the capitalism communism uh is definitely brought up quite heavily the oh, of the practice you know idealism and then the only other thing that really got dove into deeply i think was the technology everything yeah. else was dabbled in yeah, well, and... And, and the purpose, humanity's purpose. Yeah, I think, you know, you're looking at what uh, Chapek's asking about technology, because another thing he was in the heart of was technocrats. You saw this a lot in Mexico, and it helped inform the Mexican Revolution, in fact. Technocrats that were trying to run the government scientifically. And on the surface, that sounds like, well, that's not such a bad thing until you realize it involves very cold calculating things. Whereas we do everything by numbers and statistics. The human element is taken out, which means if, if someone gets stepped on, sorry, numbers, got to defend the numbers. And that's how these business guys are. They're technocrats. Yeah. So what if people lose money? But as you said too, Thomas, soul? What, how does that matter? Why does that matter? We're, we're looking for a bottom line here. We're looking to make more robots. We're looking to... This is what we're going for. How do you we quantify looking, it? Yeah. We're looking for a better life, and they're quantifying better life as mankind doesn't have to do this labor anymore without asking the question, well, maybe that labor was important to him. I mean, later on, this is picked up by Rod Serling in The Twilight Zone when he did an episode called uh, The Brain Trust at Whipple's. Whipple's Brain Trust, something like that. And it's a, about a factory that goes completely automated. The only workers are the guy at top and the technicians who work on the machines. That's it. And the technicians quit. They're like, there's no people here. This place is awful. And then in a twist of Rod Serling fate, 
the manager at top gets replaced by the board, the stockholders. They replace them with a robot because it's cheaper and easier. The robot can run the technology just actually more efficiently. And at the end, the guy, the Whipple, the manager, the plant owner, who's the son of the founder, says, it's not fair that I was cast out. It's not fair that you just took a man and his labor and his work and shoved him out like a piece of trash. When in reality, the whole time, his plant foreman, his plant manager was telling him the exact same thing. And they have zero pity for him at the yeah. end when that happened. And so, like you said, Thomas, you took away the soul. You made God irrelevant. You made other things irrelevant. And you took away whatever focus man had and replaced it with the robot. Well, well, this is a question that's pretty much as old as time itself. What is human purpose? What is the, your purpose for living? And now, they, now yeah. we've always tried to figure that out and we've sometimes gone for it's to serve god or it's to serve a religious function or it's to you know then we were you know it's just to reproduce it's just this it's just that it's just to live another day it's to survive it's to work but the question is much more complex than that it can't be just one thing right it it, it seems to be a very complex question. I mean, that's why we're still, to this day, debating asking it, it and yeah. still debating it. What is the purpose of humanity? What is your purpose on, to live? Why are you still here? What do you have to do? And they took it away with the robots. The, the, the conversation became irrelevant now because, well, the robots are doing all of that. I was going to say, what? I was going to say, maybe even you boil it down to as what is a life worth living? And everyone can give you a different answer to that. And to some people, a life of ease without labor or without something to struggle and strive towards becomes not worth living, it becomes stagnant, it becomes stale. Now, for some people, a life of toil is not worth living. And we've seen this in different societies throughout human history, um, what the objective is and, and if you want to have the life of ease, contemplation, study, and development, um, and, and for some, you know, you've, you've seen society structured that way, where you have some people who can dedicate their life fully to that, and some people who are the laboring classes. Um, we've tried to move into a more egalitarian method of it in today's society, where it's spread around evenly, but it never gets to that point. But there was something else that I think this, uh, this play got to, another theme Okay. The the fact of the necessity of imperfection and suffering. So <laughs> you always bring it back to that, don't you? But well, so so <laughs> I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying. Helena, you always bring it back to that. Helena Glory is trying to say, "I need my pain. I need my pain." But no. So she's asking them, "What's the development? Why can't you give them a soul? Why can't you give them emotion?" And he says, "I can't, but I'm learning how to bundle nerves." You want them to feel pain? And we ask, we always ask, why does an all-loving, all-knowing, all-good God allow us to feel pain? Allow us to, for there to be, it's the biggest question that newcomers to religion ask or people who struggle with their faith ask. Why, God, are you allowing this terrible stuff to happen to me? But there's, a, there's almost the simplest answer here. I'm wiring nerves because they need to feel pain because they need to know when to stop. It's a defense mechanism. And a lot of these things 
within our own emotional sets and the way we are, it's, it's whether you are um, saying God put the mechanism there or if you want to say evolution put the mechanism there, it is a necessity to feel pain, to feel hurt, to feel hunger, to tell you, I need to eat. I need to stop doing this. Hey, this is desirable because you have to have, at least conceptually, the idea of that. And it's, we say, and we question God as humans, and we say, why God, why? But we realize that in this case where we're playing God ourselves, that for our creations to live their optimum life and a best life and to, and to be able to get towards knowing enjoyment in the soul, we first have to program into them pain as a stopping point. And these things are necessary. And I think that's something that it wasn't harped on, but it was definitely there that when we play God ourselves, we will still allow our creations to feel all these things that we wish we didn't have to. Well, you're kind of right because at the very end there, when they chose, quote unquote, Adam and Eve, yeah. the only reason they were Adam and Eve was because they actually felt something. Right. And not good something. They something. felt something. They had to feel, they had to feel, and it had to be something terrible to make them feel love. And sacrificial. Yes. Yes. There's a terrible sacrifice going on that triggers the spark of love. Instead of the other way around that love triggers, you know, understanding that this is bad. Yeah. Yeah. And they, what's interesting too is when they describe how they feel, they don't quite get it. Yeah. So. Uh, this, this is the good part about this play. It brings up so many questions and so many concepts. It's going to be hard to rate this one. Yeah, well, and this is the kind of science fiction that would go on, of course, to inspire things like Star Trek, where you can, you don't have to, um, and I'm not going to go into this conversation, don't worry, but you don't have to bonk over the head to inspire these long descriptions. I mean, you can, but you can also do it this way, because, uh, it works. And, you know, there's one final point I just want to make before we rate this thing. And yes, that will be tough, Thomas. You are right. As I was listening to the dialogue, I realized, huh, this dialogue's outdated. And it got me thinking, I wonder what someone would do for a modern adaptation. And I thought, dear God, I don't want them to do it. And here's why. You can update things and do modern adaptations there are certain things that you can update just fine usually for example dialogue no one says god in heaven anymore people would probably say holy crap or oh my god and that would be fine that wouldn't be uh you could still just change some of the words and keep the spirit you can do that you could change some of the technology so obviously, when Karol Chapek wrote this, he was using 1920s technology and decorating rooms accordingly. Whereas if you were to make this, say, a one-hour special on TV or streaming, you would have digital screens and whatnot. You would try to update the look. That's fine as well. The problem is when you try to change the heart of it and change a product of its time and jam in a modern meaning, here, you, here, give me an example. I'll give you an example. And I'm not making a statement one way or the other about Black Lives Matter when I say this. 
But if you tried to jam a Black Lives Matter message into this, it wouldn't work. Not because it's not a worthy topic, but because it's not the topic addressed in this play. When you try to say, instead of making something original that would properly address that, you try to jam something in that doesn't fit. We are really bad this day, and I don't know if this is the fault of uh, producers that are too timid to try something new, which is very unfortunate, or if just the creators that are, are that unoriginal. But we are too busy trying to take products of their time, which are timeless in their own right, and still could teach us something, and deciding they are not relevant unless we jam in the modern. And as I said, to a degree, that's okay. Upscale the dialogue, upscale the technology, uh, things like that. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. That makes sense. And, you know, in this case with Karl Chapek, if, you know, we're having this discussion nowadays in this country about socialism, you could update it a little bit to talk about modern questions about that because it would still be in the spirit and heart of the story. But if you decide that you have to add intersectionality into it and feminism, this isn't a feminist topic. It would, it's like hammering two puzzle pieces together. Yeah, they fit poorly. And I think that's where I'm trying to say that's one of the reasons, and I'm not going to go too down into this, but I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people don't like Revel Masters of the Universe Revelation. Because it's trying to keep the spirit while not keep the spirit in certain aspects. And or if you want an even better example, Last Jedi. It was trying to make a modern retelling of something that was not a product of our time. And instead of doing something original or new, which would fit, you're trying to make Luke Skywalker the tragic hero. You know why it worked in Game of Thrones? Because that's a new original idea. You can have the heroes fail or get killed there because I can't tell George R. R. Martin he's doing his story wrong. It's his story. But if I suddenly decide that um, Elrond of Lord of the Rings is a pedophile, I've done it wrong because that's not how the character was written. And so if we were to ever update this play, I would say, yeah, update the dialogue, of course, update the technology and the appearance. Absolutely. You could even update the topic of technology and socialism to be a little bit more modern. Absolutely, because we're having that discussion still. But to try to jam in and say, okay, well, while we're at it, let's add a racial discussion. Well, no, 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 that's not where this is going. Why Make another play. And I know that might sound bad, but I'm encouraging people, yeah, make that message. Just don't shove it into something that don't shove it into something that's already overblown with meaning then you'll just push everything out of the way it'll be the homer simpson thing every time i learn something new i push something old out of my brain every time you jam in a new meaning to an already loaded palette it just pushes something else off the palette you know it's going to the buffet you could stack it pile high and deep but then all of a sudden you're getting less of the food you wanted to begin with well you're not wrong in much of what you say. Um, As I said, I'm not saying don't make the BLM statement. I'm just saying make another story for yeah. it. So 
one, we've already seen the remake of Rossum's Universal Robots, and it's called Westworld. Well, you That's know, the that modern gets, interpretation gets, of Rossum's Universal Robots. That does get, I haven't seen that, but it got referenced. In and article, and right. Blade Runner is very much a modern interpretation of Rossum's Universal Robots to an extent. But, well, yeah, but it's, it's taking inspiration yeah. from. That's different. No. That's not to a carbon your, copy. That's a, I'd like to borrow that element. To your second fine. point, is it laziness from the creators and the producers? Producers, I would say yes, because they're yes, risk adverse. It is. Creators, I'm it not is. sure. I'm just putting that out there. It is, it is risk averse. And it is, it is, look, it's far easier to adapt somebody else's creation into your own creation. And, I'll, and you do it subconsciously. If I were to ever create a space opera fiction, it would, have, it would be bedded, embedded with ideas from Star Trek, even if I tried not to do it. Because it's just, it's, it's formed how I think. But that said, I don't disagree with you that it is, it is a laziness or a convenience, but it's nothing new. People have been retelling Dante and Shakespeare and sure. the Greek myths for, since time immemorial. If you, if you can go back and probably find elements of Dante and elements of Shakespeare and elements of the Greek mythology in most of the stories that we tell today, if and you I'm look not, far enough. I'm not railing against that. I'm now, not saying that's a problem. That's not a problem at all. The question I have about modern adaptations and reinterpretations, if you want to graft on a feminist message to Masters of the Universe Revelation, if you can do it skillfully and not ham-handedly, go ahead and do it. I don't mind. If you're going to do a reinterpretation, look, there's more creativity involved in doing a reinterpretation and an adaptation that takes the story in a different direction than there is in simply retelling. It would be the easiest thing in the world to go tell Masters of the Universe Revelation and have He-Man, Skeletor, Duncan and and Tila and Orko and and King Randor all behaving in the manner that they always did. Then to use that as your framework, but to have them behaving in ways that are somewhat different and telling a different message and and changing the story for today. The skill is, can you take that story from the 1980s and tell it in 2021? in a way that works with today's audience, has aged with the audience that is now 45 and 50 years old, but doesn't gut the soul of that production in the meantime. And that's well, my argument, but my problem is, my counterpoint, and I'll let Thomas have his, have his, what usually happens is, in that case, instead of inventing the machine gun or the repeating rifle, they try to put a clunky mechanism on a muzzle-loading musket. And it looks like hell. It doesn't work well. But it fires! So instead of just saying, gee, maybe we should just invent a new rifle that does what we're trying to do. It's, if we could just put this clunky machine on the musket, it'll work! Well, I and hate to tell you point. your argument is now that this point is terrible because how do you get to butter rifle is normally by the clunkiness. Well, no, but I mean, but... it's like you're trying to keep the musket and have the repeating rifle at the same time. It's like, no, you need to, you need to alter the piece. I, I would argue that Westworld, that Westworld and Blade Runner were probably examples of a success in taking a concept, modernizing it, and telling the story for the Yeah, but that's a day. concept, well, not trying to take the whole setting or story. Well, here, here, right. Go on, go on, Thomas, sorry. 
I'm now going to step in between you two and point <laughs> out both of you guys are completely wrong and right at the same time. Ah, Thomas is fulfilling his role. Oh, shut up. I found my purpose, okay? My yes. purpose for living. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Mark, wrong, and right. Right in the way, yes, they take old properties, and sometimes they shouldn't screw with them. Mm -hmm. But also, yes, when you update stuff, yeah, you're putting different messages in. Mm -hmm. It happens. Scott, you are correct in the way that, yes, when you change stuff and update stuff, it's how it works. You put different things in, it's how it I think the problem with most people are having with this was that it was just told to them one way and it was sold to them one way. And we're way. talking about they Masters were, of the Universe revelation yes. at this point. Yeah. Yes. That, yeah, Kevin that, Smith really bungled that one. Right. When, when Kevin Smith told people, no, it's going to be like the old one. It's going to be this way. And when people leaked information saying, no, it's totally going to be different. It's going to be woke. He... He went and attacked them, telling them it's not. So, I think that's the big issue against that. That was yeah. such a dumb move on his well, part. I, so, I, I don't think the story was quite as bad as some people are making no, it out as. Look, well, one day we will, we will discuss this, this and will, I'm hoping will. that possibly when Rage Master has watched Masters of the Universe Revelation, we'll have a different discussion. Thomas, I don't know if you have yet or not. Not yet. But I watched it. Twice. I've, I've seen the synopsis, and okay. my sum, summation is right story, wrong setting. Yeah. So I, I've watched that story. I've watched that one twice. I have watched, and I have gone back to make sure that I'm not forgetting things, and I am 53 episodes into season one of the original He-Man. And I will come back and say this again. They took the world and got the world right. They did. For the most part, they have the characters right. There are changes to the characters. There's going to be changes to the character. For the most part, they have been true to the sandbox, and there have been no dramatic changes to the world, and you don't find characters behaving in ways that are completely different than how they're supposed to behave. Tila! Except for Tila. Uh, yeah, but, and that is because they've made her, in episodes 2, 3, and 4, the focus of the show. And that's, that's something that people are having a problem with and why it gets called woke. But if you step back and look at it, is it a good story? It's a really good story. Is it well voice acted? Absolutely. Is the animation phenomenal? Yes. Is it Masters of the Universe told for people who are now in their 40s and 50s in a story that you would expect with the depth and coming out of 2021? In my opinion, yes. Is it the same as the 1980s cartoon? No. Does that make it bad, in my opinion? No. Does it... But if you were looking for Masters of the Universe Revelation to just give you Season 3 of the 1980s He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, then no, you're not getting what you came for. You're absolutely not. You're getting something more serious with a lot more depth and He-Man or Master of Arms or Orko do not turn and look at the camera and say, Kids, today you saw me rush off and do something that my father didn't want me to do. And in the process, even though I didn't get hurt, I caused a lot of problems. And I need to realize that if people who care about me, if people who care about me 
are telling me things that I shouldn't do, it's probably for a reason. So, uh... You're not going to get that. You're getting a much different thing. So you are getting, in my mind, what you're getting is Masters of the Universe for grown-ups. So, uh, basically, we've just gone off the beaten path here and turned this into a revelation. Ragemaster has got to remember, don't add your own two cents about something, because then it turns into a whole other episode. So That's okay, Rage I think... Master screwed up. No, he screwed up, because <laughs> I this think... episode's long enough. Okay? I think the sickies have come to expect this. We go down rabbit holes. If we don't, they... I guess. Listen, at least so we, we spent basically... 58 minutes of this episode on Rossum's Universal Robots. Yeah. Yes. So we've done, the half, ten... we've done yeah. half of the Revelation review. So yeah. you've got a taste of what it's going to be. So let's yeah. rate this thing already. How many Skeletor... I mean... <laughs> None, because Kevin Smith killed it for a matter psychological Scott Kennison remake. All right, how many robots? How about that? Yeah, how many robots? I'm going to give it a solid 10 because... It, you can't knock it. You can't say he did robots wrong because robots didn't exist in that time. Uh, he achieved everything he was looking to, to achieve uh, without being so clunky. He inspired some great topics and great discussions. So it was a real thoughty, thoughty kind of thing that would make Scott Kennison just go, oh boy, measure of a man style in science fiction. I will wait. The concept of the play as a 10. Now, the reason why I said the concept of the play as 10 is because I'm going to now rate the uh, audio drama that we actually listened to as a 1. The concepts that they discussed was great, but getting through this play, listening to it, was very hard. I'm going to give it... Eight communist manifestos. Uh, um, I said robots. Jeez, robots. Scott. Eight robots. We had this discussion for 20 minutes. <laughs> yep, we did. Okay, but anyway, I'm going to give it an eight, and here's why. Conceptually, with the discussion and the meat in this, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. There's a ton to talk about the human condition, and um, as individuals and as a society, it looks at our organizing principles and structures and what happens if we change them and the flaws within that. The reason it comes down to an eight is as a piece of entertainment, I believe it fails. I don't really get vested with the characters and I don't really have an emotional tie-in and buy-in. Um, and it, it drags at times. It really is something to take in snippets. So maybe it's just me. I'm not a huge play person. I'm not a big fan of Shakespeare. As much as I try to read and write, read Shakespeare, I can't because I just get lost and it, it bores me a lot. Lucky it's not Shakespeare. But it's a play. I'm not a big person on plays. But at any rate, um, it's an eight. It balances out. There's a lot here. It's good. It's, worth, it's not only worth listening or watching or reading. Um, you should. I'd call it essential, but I, I give it an eight. It's better than most. Okay, so, oh wait, did Thomas do it somehow? I forgot all of a sudden because I'm an old. He did. Brain yeah, person. man, you okay. definitely have Alzheimer's now. Oh my god, you know it, <laughs> old anyway. man over there. Yep, that's true. So, uh, what do you sickies think? You could comment us, but comment to us. See my age, my god. But yeah, also at the same too. time, <laughs> before before you do that though. Do check out the other programs on Raving Lunatic Media. We have Cold Case Chase, and we have Case Closed, which is kind of a Talking Dead-style review of the Cold Case Chase uh, criminals and uh, other cases. We have Case Closed about crimes that were solved. 
And those are all run by Ruck and Shane. Great programs. I listen in all the time. I was listening before we joined teams with them. So uh, also keep an eye out for Case of the Chills. That is coming. I guarantee you it's coming. It's just when you're managing so many programs, you know, it just takes a little bit longer. But I, I can assure you Cold Case or Case of the Chills is coming. And of course, today dropped Zodiac Task Force. For those of you that were upset by Revelation and want something a little bit more reminiscent of the 80s check out this on audio drama and of course if you want to know more about that or comment you can do so at at www.roboticcommunistworkersrevolution i mean uh ravinglunaticmedia.com 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 what's left for them to do rage master stay sick sickies Hey there, sickies. It's me, Ruck. Just really, really quickly wanted to put one last advertisement in here before you guys leave. Please, go listen to Zodiac Task Force. It's out. It's awesome. So many great people worked on it. So many awesome people like Rage Master, like me, like Shane. And we had so many wonderful, talented voice actors work on it as well. And who knows, maybe somebody will be reviewing it in the not-so-distant future. Maybe a distant future. Who knows? Sometime in the indetermined future. Please go listen to it. Leave a rating. And from all of us here at Raving Lunatic Media, thank you for supporting us and loving everything that we do. Adios. Ruck out. Stay sick, sickies. Hey, I've seen this one. I've seen this one. This is a classic. This is our uh, sci-fi malady. Dresses up as a man from space. What do you mean you've seen this? It's brand new. Yeah, well, I saw it on a rerun. <laughs>